place and you guys forgive one another and God's calling to repentance and I'm just like <laughs> and she's like just and then I'm like oh my hat it's just like this conviction drops on the congregation and I'm like thank you lovey I have to preach into this now But she's such a gift to us and her faith. And she's going to be sharing some of her story this morning. Um, because God's taken her out of the desert and brought her into something of her promised land. And so you can sit down and then you can come share your story later. Maybe. Just remind me, love. And so the title for this morning's speech is, is How do we get out of the, out of the desert into the promised land? And... Uh, God appointed Moses as a deliverer to his people, and we're reading out of Joshua 3 from about verse 5 to Joshua 4 to verse 24. I'm just going to take snippets of, of, of Scripture out of that portion, because it's a long portion of Scripture. And so, Joshua 3 verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. I want to jump to verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its bank throughout the harvest time. The water coming down from above stood up and rose into a heap very far away at Adam, the city besides Zerathan, and those flowing towards the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, that's the Dead Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on the ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation had passed over the Jordan. Then skipping to uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Actually from verse 3. And commanding them, saying, Joshua speaking, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firm, and bring them over and lay them down in a place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called twelve men from the people of Israel. And now we're going to skip to verse 6. That this may be... A, oh, sorry, let's just carry on from, from verse 5. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in the time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before you, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordans were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel 
a memorial forever. Just so far. And so what we see out of this portion of scripture, we see the story of the redemption story of Moses the deliverer delivering Israel from Egypt and taking them through this journey which should have taken seven days but ended up taking 40 years because of Israel's hardness of heart, their unbelief, their rebellion, their discontentment and them not believing that God could give them the country. They wandered for 40 years in the desert and then Moses had struck the rock and his punishment that he couldn't enter into the promised land. land. And then as Moses died, Joshua rises as a new leader and God says to him, I'm going to be with you and you're going to take the people into the land. And then this story takes place. And the Jordan for us in this story is symbolic of the people of Canaan. Because Canaan was a fertile land and they worshipped the fertility gods. And the fertility gods were symbolized by water and by chaos. And so we read there that the waters of the Jordan was in flood. How many of you have been to Israel? How many of you have seen the Jordan River? How, how big is the Jordan River? How wide is it? But when it's not in flood, how big is it? It's about from here to there. It's not the Vol River or the Orange River where the other side is like over there. No, it's a, it's a small little river. So the first thing here is that God takes the Israelites in flood over that river. This is a desert people. How much water have they seen? They're kind of like dune, you know? They've got to wear suits to preserve all the water that they can get. And so God's going to take you into your promised land when things look at its worst, when you cannot get across the river. That's the first thing you have to realize. God does not want you and me to rely upon our own strength and our own abilities or even one another's abilities to bring us into victory because it is faith that is pleasing to God. And so to walk into the promised land, we need to have faith. And God is going to test you severely. It's going to look like your finances will never restore. It's going to look like your health is lost forever. It's going to look like your fear and your anxiety and your depression, it's never going to end. God, I've been walking with this affliction for so long. I've had this thorn in my side. Aren't you the God of miracles? Aren't you the God that, that can save? Why am I struggling so much? And God brings you to a place in your life where you are so low because that's where water flows. See, water doesn't flow in the high places. Water flows in the valleys, in the low places of our lives. And I want to say to you, if you are sitting here this morning and you are hopeless, and you are in despair, and you think that you are never going to receive your salvation, whether it be in your relationships, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be in your work, whether it be in your finances, whether it be in, your, in yourself, I want to say to you, you are in a good place. Because you are in a place where the, where, where the gods of chaos looks like they're having victory. But God.
And that's the cry that needs to be in our hearts. But God. If it was but for God, I will never make it. I will never get out of this. And the thing that God does is, is God doesn't just but God. But God, <laughs> God but God's with us. And the Ark of the Covenant is carried on the shoulders of the priests. Now, who here are priests? Actually, all of us are priests. Peter says that we are now a kingdom of priests. And so the Ark of the Covenant is symbolic of the presence of God. And so we carry the presence of God on our shoulders and we walk into the chaos when it is at its most difficult. And what did the priests do? They stood there. And the water heaped up at a place called Adam. At the beginning. At the beginning of your problems. You see, God doesn't just pick off the fruit of your problems. He takes out the root of the chaos. And that sometimes takes time. You see, the water heaped up at Adam, which the historians tell us is somewhere between 17 and 30 miles away. That's somewhere between 30 and 50 kilometers away from where the priests are standing in the water. Now, a river in flood flows at about 10 kilometers an hour. We've got some engineers here. Speed is distance divided by time. Time. Oh, well, let's not go there. How long did the priest stand there before the water subsided? Somewhere between two and three hours. How do you think those priests felt? standing in the river. God's not going to come through for me. Why isn't the river subsiding? And the reason why God made it stop over there is because they needed a massive space for the people of Israel to go over. There was like a million of them. And God will sort out your problems at the source of your problems. And sometimes that takes time. And so we pray about a thing or we give a thing to the Lord, or we come to salvation, and we expect that our lives should change, but it doesn't, because the water of chaos is still around my ankles. I still feel the fear. I still see the, the fruit of it. And God is at Adam, busy sorting out the problems. And that word there, like that sorting out, is the same word that is used in Genesis when the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos of the world, and God spoke and brought order into chaos. And so sometimes we need to be patient and we need to persevere. God is not a God that's going to let you down. He's not a God that is deaf, but he often doesn't operate according to our timings. We also need priests to stand alongside us and to stand with us. See, there were four priests that carried that box. It was a box that was about 70 centimeters by uh, 110 with acacia wood covered in gold with a solid gold lid with two angels facing one another with a mercy seat in between. 
That box was heavy. It was heavy to carry. One priest couldn't carry it. You cannot carry your burdens alone. You can't carry your burdens alone. God calls us to carry one another's burdens. And one of the obstacles that we have in today's modern church is that we think we need to go to professionals. We think that professionals is going to sort out our problems. But the Bible says that we are a kingdom of priests. And by this, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to professionals. But sometimes people just standing with you, carrying the weight while you wait for God to break through is what will give you the breakthrough. You see, sometimes we put our faith in professionals and we don't put our faith in priests. And sometimes we think priests should be more holy than what they are. I'm telling you, so I didn't read that, but the preceding verse there says that the priests walked ahead of the nation of Israel 2,000 cubits. Now, cubits is about 75 centimeters, so that's about 1.5 kilometers ahead of the people. Now, four guys walking with a box, 1.5 kilometers down the beach from you. Can you see them? No, you can't see them. Why can't you see them? Because their legs were doing this. You see, your leaders are also only people. We also doubt. We also have struggles. But God has ordained that we should have leaders. And if we're going to say to ourselves that that person can't help me because look, ooh, he's not perfect like Jesus then who's going to help you? Who's good enough to help you? And by this, we're not saying that we're condoning sin in our leaders, but the Bible does say that we must honor our leaders. Why don't you come share your story quickly? Just that portion about the perfectionism. So this is happening now. We just planted a congregation in Naupo Strand. We left with 60 people from Tableview. Jacob was born a year later. Two months after we planted. Um, how many of you have had a baby? That's not easy. How many of you have had twins? That's a lot less easy. So, so planting a church is like having a baby. I just want to say it's lovely being here. Um, it's just awesome being like received by you guys. There's so much love in this place and we really feel welcome. So thank you for that. Um, so we planted the church in Malpos. My husband led the church, so I was the eldest wife. Um, he was the elder. And um, my son was born and I started getting like postnatal depression. Um, and after he was born, my parents divorced after, what, 35 years or something, 38 years of marriage. So for the first time in my life, I'm a parent and my whole reference of, you know, like what a parent's like, is just like, it's actually not really real. So that kind of like really shook me up and then obviously that brought up a lot of things of unforgiveness and um, I always felt like I needed to be perfect. So you see all these boards. My names were, my name were all of them, primary school, high school, provincial colors, okay? 
There's another one, head leader, not because I failed school, but I was on there twice. Um, I was never a duck student, and South African colors seven times, I think. So I was a high achiever. Um, I could fix anything, very um, talented, I think. And the same with my husband. So I always felt like I needed to be perfect, you know? Like, so what it did, did for me when I'm with people is that I couldn't just show my weaknesses. I wasn't open with my life. Although I was on leadership and the eldest wife, I never shared my heart. Um, but um, how can I link this? And so when my daughter was born, you know, like you kind of not feel well and then your babies go bigger and you can start surfing again and you start doing your hobbies again and you're kind of like out of it, you know. But then the, the other baby was born. And then apparently if you don't deal with it the first time properly, then the second time it just gets worse. So um, I got to a point where I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I lost like a lot of weight. Like I couldn't function, I couldn't think straight. Um, and the first time in my life I faced a situation where I couldn't fix it. And even my husband, who is also highly talented and capable and able, he couldn't fix the situation. And I was in a place where I had to let people in. I had to let go of being perfect and pretending that everything's okay. And what really helped is the people that were carrying that burden with me just showed me, although I was on leadership and I'm supposed to be an example for people, the best example I can be is to to show that, that I'm also just a disciple of Christ. And they were just there. They just loved me. And I think the way that I love people today and the way that I can love my kids today is because the people around me and the church around me, like, they didn't judge me. They just loved. People moved into our house. The first night, because um, I went to a m mental clinic just to go onto medication and um, you know, learn to eat again and just look after myself, and um, people moved into our house, friends of ours. The first night, my daughter threw up all over her. People brought meals. Only like the other day, I found out there was like a roster. The mommies would come and bath my kids every day. I don't even know who did what. Like I was really, the only thing I could do was just breathe. But the love and the acceptance that I felt just broke open so much in my life. Um, so yeah, I don't know what else to share, but just to encourage you, yeah. So, you see, God went to the root. He went to Adam to sort out the problem. The problem was one of perfectionism. The problem was one of self-strength. I can do this on my own. And the fruit of it down the line was that when the pressure becomes too much, that you fold and then you break. And God doesn't want that for us. And if we... If we live in a place where we don't let other people into those spaces, and by this I'm saying not professionals, I'm saying ordinary priests that can carry the burdens with us in prayer and bring the Word of God into our spaces and the presence of God into our spaces, then that is where the breakthrough is. And over the last 13 years, I've seen my wife walk this road of of healing with the Lord. Not being disqualified, but actually being qualified by vulnerability. And God has done an amazing thing in her. And so sometimes this thing that we want to hide is actually the thing that prevents us from walking into our destinies. And so the priest carried the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And on the Ark was that thing of the mercy seat. Between 
between the two cherubim, between the two angels, once a year the priest would, would pour the blood of the lamb that would, that, that would cover the sins of the nation. And so how do we facilitate the presence of God for us? This is that we come humbly before the Lord and we ask Him for mercy in our times of need. That's where the river flows. That's what that means. And so we come humbly before the Lord. That brings the presence. And in the Ark of the Covenant, there were three items. There was the staff of Oren that budded. There was the Ten Commandments. And then what else was there? There was the bowl of manna. Remember the Israelites ate the manna in the desert when there wasn't any food. And so those four things is what brings the presence of God into our lives. The, now let's talk about what is the manna. The manna is the word of God to us. And Romans 10, 17 says this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. And I want to encourage you as a congregation to take up your responsibility to one another to speak the word of the Lord to each other. And in 1 Corinthians 10 or 12 verse 10 it says this. So when we speak the, Lord, the word of the Lord, we speak it like this. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 14.3, I apologize. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for upholding, encouragement and consolation. That we will speak to one another the words of the Lord to build one another up. When my faith is low, that we would build one another up in our faith. And so, when was the time that I was low in my faith? We were, I remember a time when we were leading the congregation, we were running out of, we were really, we were running out of leaders. Uh, we had two leaders that were coming through. I wasn't quite sure whether they were eldership or whether they weren't. And uh, we went to a leaders camp and uh, Val was prophesying and she called me out. And she prophesied, she prophesied a whole bunch of things over me. And, uh, but she said this one sentence in, in, in that time, which was just like, it's like clutch. <laughs> she said to me, that you're thinking, of on, you're thinking of bringing on two leaders, and God says to you, bring them on. And that spoke right into a question that I'd had in my heart. Lord, my faith is low. I feel like I'm failing as a leader. Sure, that was hectic. I'm failing, in my faith, I'm failing my faith as a leader. And God came in that moment and He spoke a word of knowledge into my situation. And my faith was built up and I could go back and I could lead my, the congregation again. And so as people, what is prophecy? What is prophecy? Is prophecy something that like an Old Testament prophet does? Yes, they did it too. But what is prophecy in the New Testament? Prophecy is simply hearing the word of the Lord and speaking it to someone else. That's all it is. And what do we do it for? What is the purpose? We, we, we do it so that we can build one another up in our faith. And to build someone up in their faith, we have to have faith that God wants to speak through us. And so I want to ask you a challenging question this morning. When was the last time that you spoke the word of God over someone, other, someone else's life that you saw struggling. Because God has called us to be a priesthood, to carry one another's burdens. 
three weeks ago, I phoned Ross. I said to him, Ross, buddy, like, we've just had this role change. We used to lead the congregation. Then COVID happened, the congregation split into three, and now I ended up without a job. Like Steve's leading the evening, MC's leading the morning, and he's leading the Artibos. They're doing so well, I'm actually getting a little bit buffed off about this. <laughs> All three congregations are growing. I don't have a job. <laughs> and it's been prophesied for years over me that God wants me to work apostolically. And you ask Ross, I fought that thing tooth and nail. No, I'm a pastor, I like my people, this is where I'm going to work. And God used COVID <laughs> to take it away from me. And so about three weeks ago, I said to Ross, Brew, I just feel so pop, man. I just feel like I don't have any faith. I just feel like I need to be stirred up. So I said to him, listen, I'm coming to Cape Town for the eldest time. Why don't you get a couple of guys together, girls, that can prophesy and get them to pray for us. And we got together the afternoon at the fishbowl at Sunningdale, and the guys prayed over us for an hour. And they just prayed. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, there were some good words. But there wasn't like those words where you go like, whoa. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, the guys, they were good. They weren't bad. But you know what? When I walked out of there, I felt so stirred in the Lord. I felt so energized in the Lord. And I felt like I had vision for the next season that God has for us in our life. And God calls us to do that for one another. To speak words over one another that just stirs us up. When we feel like the stirring has stopped. When we feel like our zeal is gone. And it's us. It's not the people with the title of a prophet. It's not the Ephesians 4 prophets. It's us. The Holy Spirit gives us the gift of prophecy so that we can build up and we can stir up. Are we praying for one another and stirring one another up in our faith so that we can carry on? Are we doing that? Yeah. So I had something to that experience when I had. I want to make simplified, make it like just a, a sh how really simple these things can be sometimes. So Wednesday night we were here um, when I shared a little bit, and uh, so we've just moved back into our house. My wife's unpacked the house the whole week. When Anna moved in with us, she's exhausted. Like she's. She's tired. She's finished. She's got that stomach bug now. That's why she's not here this morning, unfortunately. But she was just like, sure, exhausted. We leave. We're walking out of here. Um, we're like the last people to leave. I think Lisa and Monica, always meant Monica were with her. And uh, we walk outside. I'm sitting in the car. Car's running. Lights are on. I'm ready. Like they, the three of them are standing there. And as they leave, Margaret's like, listen, girls, just I'm tired. It's been a rough few weeks, I'm just, I need, I need the Lord. Because she knows, she's 
been around long enough to know that she's got to lean into the Lord. She says, why don't you just pray for me? Just five minutes. Remember the last time you guys prayed for me? Yes. Anyway. So I'm sitting in the car now, the three of them. As, literally, as they link hands to pray, let's just go pray for one of the Holy Spirit. Just, swah, zaps the three of them. Oh my goodness me. Now I'm sitting in the car going, oh. I want to go home. I'm tired now. <laughs> He's three and rolling around on the pavement outside, laughing and shaking and rattling and rolling. <laughs> because if you know the three of them, that's what happens. And they get together anyway. So, but that's at the point. The point is she, she knew what she needed. She went, she asked. Doesn't take an hour, actually. That, in that situation, it did. It took five minutes. It took five minutes. Like that. The Holy Spirit... I don't even think they knew what they were praying at the end of the time. They just, the Holy Spirit fell. Are you different after that evening? You're different after, because you're also feeling, you want to, you can, you can, yeah. You see, test, testimonies actually break these things too. So as men shared, so Margot wakes up the next morning. First night, she's had a good night's sleep in a long time. She looks at me and she goes, it's incredible what five minutes of prayer can do in your life. Incredible. She felt like a different person. Something had broken just through that five minutes. Yeah, so, so a bit of the backstory. Me and Margo were walking out and she was asking me, how am I doing? Because the week before, I had a, a little meltdown. Like literally couldn't stop crying. Felt totally overwhelmed. I was like, God, I don't know how to do my life. Um, so I sent Margo like a super teary voice note, which is not, I also struggle with perfectionism. So I was like, I, I literally can't carry on. I need to let someone know how I'm doing. Um, so I said to her, and I'm, I'm doing much better, thankfully, after opening up to a lot of people, which needed to happen. And then I'm like, how are you? And then she said, no, there's just so much going on. She's exhausted. Um, and when I thought back of the whole what happened um, out there, I thought the key was for me that Margot asked, that she wasn't just like, I'm exhausted. And I'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll think of you. I'll pray for you. But she was like, can we pray now? Um, so that was the first thing that I was like, wow, she asked for prayer right there, even though she knew Ross was waiting. And then, <laughs> hold on. The second thing was that um, it was all him, because Lisa just like took our hands and she just went, Lord. <laughs> and that was it. So it's just like, <laughs> we, it's just looking to him. One moment. So, so, <laughs> Sorry, I just I feel like this is so helpful, actually. That thing of asking, can we pray now? You know, sometimes, sometimes we do need to set up a prayer session and like, get a couple of people around us, and it can be, that can be quite an intense time. But that might take a couple of weeks, a couple of months even to set up to try to get everybody's schedules to align. But the power of God is available like that now to us for freedom. It's for freedom that he set us free. There's nothing more powerful than just going in the moment. Just, why don't you just pray for me quickly? Don't discredit that because often we ask that and we go, oh, that's not good enough. You know, that's not good enough. Well, I want that person to pray for me. I want, and I get that, but also we must be careful because when we fall into that trap, we actually, we, we stop that very thing from happening. We stop that well from being opened and the Spirit, allowing, allowing the Spirit to move like that. So don't discredit those moments. Just grab, if you're struggling even this morning, before you walk out there, grab a friend and say, listen, don't you just want to pray for me? Just, let's just pray. Let's just ask the Lord just to do something. Is that all right? It's, it's like a prayer of a child. Lisa, did you put any special inflection on Lord? Did you meditate on the letters of the word? 
expounded for the time. We're just like, Lord, boom, God comes. Not by power, not by might, by my spirit. It's simple, it's for children. And we can complicate it. And prophecy cheers us up. The final one. When she was in the, in the hospital, I was like, I remember dropping her off at the mental institution. Groendakies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Padded walls. <laughs> it wasn't like that, okay? <laughs> it was a really... And, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> she wasn't crazy like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would speak to her and she would just look at me and then shake. And I was... I just... I, it was, I mean, she was gone. Literally gone. There was a shell there with no one inside. I remember the morning I dropped off at the, at the, at the clinic. It was a lovely place. Lovely people there. And I just like, I drove away and I stopped my car next to the N1 and I cried. Because I never, I didn't know whether I was going to get my wife back ever again. And there was a guy, um, he was from Church on Main, Andrew Purchase. He was one of their leaders there. He had planted, he pl at that stage, about six months earlier, he had planted a church in Singapore. And out of the blue, he sent me this WhatsApp. I don't know what this is for, but God says pigs can fly. Pigs can fly. So pigs, mental health, I don't know. What, but what they'd spoken to my heart was, don't worry, I've got this. The impossible is possible. And it just, it just cheered me up in that moment. Simple little five-word, one-liner SMS. I was like, all right, God, you've got this. And just, I've been living with Ross and Margo, and I feel God wants to, this congregation to grab a hold of, this, of the simplicity of faith. I've just heard that, you know, there's, there's this list of people that, that they want to be prayed for that needs to go through deliverance. And that there's a couple of guys that are good at that. And I'm just like, it's, that's good. But that's something that all of us should do. It's not, it's not a, like when I go, Ross goes to deliverance, deliverance makes it, we call them apps, applied prophetic prayer. Sounds better than deliverance. Because all we do is, is we apply the prophetic prayer to the person. We stand around, we ask God to reveal something, and there's sometimes repentance, renunciation, prayer. But anyone that can hear the word of the Lord can do that. If you can hear his voice, then you can do deliverance. You don't need a badge. You've got a badge. Jesus' blood on your heart. It's maybe wisdom to do it with someone that's done it before. Like if you run into a space and you go like, okay, I don't know what to do now. And then there's someone that, or just keep the number on speed dial. Or at least do two or three, you know, people together. We're better together. But I want to encourage you to step out into these things. They're not for specialists. Josh Jen is not a church of specialists. We're a church of dummies. Dummies and donkeys. That's who we are. 
I mean, really, have you listened to our preaching? I'm surprised people come back. I mean, I go and listen to, because I want to learn, I want to get better, so I listen to other acts and I'm like, okay, that's really clear. And I'm sure they're doing a great job where they're at. But for me, I don't want you to have knowledge. I want you to have love. I want us to have the power of God. I want us to see people delivered. I want, to, I want to taste the fruit of the kingdom, which is freedom. And so that can come through knowledge. And it does come through knowledge. But as long as it stirs faith in our hearts. And so we've, yes, we've gone on about the manner, eh? About the word of God. And the other two things that make sure that the presence of God is with us is the fact that we carry it for one another, the priests, is the fact that we speak the living word of God, all of us, to one another. It's the fact that the staff of Aaron is budded. And the staff of Aaron budded, why? If you go read in the Old Testament, there was a time where the Israelites said, God had taken the zealous, the zealous people out and they said, like, I want these guys to be the priests and the Levites. He had created a, a hierarchy within the church. And then the guys went, but we can also hear the word of the Lord. What makes them special? And the Bible says that we should honor our leaders. And we shouldn't ask those things in our heart. Because it's very easy for rebellion to come into our heart. So, yes, we're a priesthood. And yes, we're flat. We, like, we're not. But then there's also the other side of things. Is that we want to honor our leaders. Like, honor your father and your mother. So that it will go well with you in the land. This thing of honor is, is a thing of giving weight. And in our culture, and so I'm speaking culturally now, they say that when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, that people lost faith in politics. They say that when Jimmy Swaggart was caught with Destiny Brown, that people lost faith in church and in leadership. And even though leadership is with us and we are a priesthood, leadership is also something more. Now, we don't claim something more for ourselves. If I walk around and I claim a special parking spot and a special this and a special that and a special smile and a special chair, then I've lost the plot and I'm not humble. But there is a deference. Is that an English word? A deference that we do give towards our leaders. Because if we don't have that in balance, God does sometimes speak through men that have been anointed. You get the gifts. Everyone can prophesy, 1 Corinthians 12. But then you get the gift of the, the office of a prophet. Ephesians 4. And they're same, but they're different. And so we've got to keep that thing in balance. Because if we don't keep that thing in balance, but I'm, I grab for it. I never grabbed for this. This was given to me. Actually, I don't want this. So I'm quite honest. I don't want to. If I could, if I had my choice, I would be a pharmacist. Maybe a surf coach in Indo or or a shaper, not a body shaper, a surfboard shaper. But somehow God's chosen me for this and I don't know why. You might be sitting there and thinking, yes, I can do this a lot better than you could do. You can, and you probably can. 
I don't know why God chose me. Ross doesn't know why God chose him, and Jeff doesn't know why God chose him. Somehow we ended up in this. I just did this foundations things over this week, and my thoughts are, I can think of about five guys in Josh Jen that can do this better than me. Why was I chosen? God knows. But we give honor to our leaders, which means that we put weight on their words. That's what honor means. Tamei means to give weight. Which also helps us to, to keep the presence of God amongst us. Because what the elders do is, is they keep this field healthy. You see the man of disorder has come in. The man of rebellion into this world. The spirit of the Antichrist is in the world and is breaking down all forms of order. The spirit of rebellion is that which challenges authority. Now authority is there to love and to serve, not to abuse and to dominate. But just make sure that in our hearts that, that we still keep honor. Is, is, that, is that balanced? Because I think, you know, we've chucked out leadership. But we can't chuck it out because God's put it there. Somehow it works for our good and we work together. And, is that all right? And then the last one. What's the last one? The Ten Commandments. There were two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. Why were there two stone tablets? Because Moses couldn't chisel all the commandments on one, so he would put five on the one and five on the other. That's what I always thought. He, was, he, he, he had a big handwriting, so it didn't fit on the page. <laughs> so he put five here and five there. Now, actually, it was two copies. And in, in the ancient times, when, when, when kings would cut covenant with one another, they would have two copies. Like today, too, you do a contract, you've got two copies. One goes with the one party and one goes with the other. And what you would do with that copy, especially if it was an important covenant, is you would put that in a special place for safekeeping. So that when you needed it, you could pull out the copy and you could go, yeah, the, the conditions of the, of the covenant. And so the significance of this is that God says that his special place is with us. And in Matthew it says that God is Emmanuel. God with us. And that when the temple curtain was torn, because God was inside of that room, remember? And then the temple curtain tore when Jesus died. The lintel broke and the curtain was torn. And the way to the most holy place was open to all of us. What does that mean? That we now have to go into the holy place? I think it means God came out. He came to us. And now God is living inside of our hearts. And so actually, the Ark of the Covenant is our hearts. That's where God lives. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that lives in us. And then the priests, they, the, 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 the leaders of the tribe, they picked up those stones and they put it on the bank of the river. And when everyone had come through, every single last one of them, God wants to bring all of us across the river. The river started flowing again. And it looked like it did before. Except for the stones that were standing there. The Mazavot. The standing stones. The stones of remembrance. And then the New Testament, Peter picks up on this. He said, you are living stones. And 
Paul picks up on this. He says, you are living stones being built together to form a temple in which God dwells by His Spirit. And so God came and took us out of the chaos of the river. He put our lives on the bank of the river so that when people walk past and they say, what, what happened here? What happened to this life? This life was in depression. This life was in fear. This life was in chaos. And God destroys the chaos and He brings us onto the bank. And we become a temple where God dwells by His Spirit. And people can look at us and go, I cannot believe that God saved this guy, this lady. And so maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. And today you've come into this place and you know that your life is in chaos. You know that you need God because the Holy Spirit is the one that's convicting you in your heart that you need to accept Him. Because God wants to come and He wants to stop the chaos in your life. He wants to bring you into a place where He can come and live inside of your heart. And He can take you on this process of making you better, more like Him, but also bringing you across from a, de a desert is a dry place with no fruitfulness. There's nothing there. There's sand. And you've been living on the little bits. And God wants to bring your life over this morning into His kingdom. And He wants to give you His Spirit. And so can I ask that every eye discloses right now. If you've come into this place this morning and you have not accepted Jesus into your life, and chaos of the river is raging in your life, there's a, there's a call, there's a feeling, there's an emotion in your heart this morning as the Holy Spirit is drawing you. And God, through the Holy Spirit this morning, is offering you salvation. And that salvation means this, is that Jesus died for your sins so that you could come into a relationship with Him, the Father. And the way that we accept that is by acknowledging that that's happening in my heart right now. You're feeling it. And so there's a conviction. You're convinced that God's alive. You're convinced that you're not in right standing with Him. And you're convinced that you want to do something about it. And if you want to do something about it this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to make that conviction a reality by making what is invisibly happening in your heart a visible reality on earth. The Bible calls that faith and obedience. And that action is what connects you to the heart of the Father. And then you're going to start a journey where that happens over and over and over again. And He will lead you from one place to the next place to the next place to the next place until one day we meet Him face to face. Whether He comes on the clouds or whether we die and we see Him in heaven. And if that's you this morning and you want to start that journey because you're feeling that conviction, that convincedness in your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to, do, opportunity to respond to the gospel by raising your hand and, so that I can pray with you, so that we can pray with you. Is there anyone here that wants to give their heart to Jesus this morning? Just raise your hand. I know your heart's probably beating in your chest. Mine also did. But there's a drawing that's taking place. Just raise your hand so that I can see it. Is there anyone here this morning? All right. Then for the rest of us, you guys can look at me.
the honor record. And so Ross feels like maybe there's someone here you've given your heart to Jesus before and you've wandered away from him so far that you feel like you need to recommit. You've backslidden. You've hardened your heart, hardened your heart, hardened your heart, and you could hear his voice, you were following him, and then it's so far down the road that like, you're on your own and you want to come back. And if that's you this morning, we would love to pray with you too. So is there anyone that wants to come back to Jesus this morning? I wandered away from him for four years and God came to me and said to me, Monai, if you don't come back now, you're going to die. And I listened. If you keep on walking away from salvation, from a relationship with God, you will die. Some of your faith has been stirred this morning. Like you hear our story and you, you can see, you know, like I, I never spoke to people. Like I just never talked. So um, like if you knew me 14 years ago and you saw me now, you wouldn't think it's the same person. And it's like you see us now and you hear our story and your faith is stirred. But I feel like it's almost like the Holy Spirit is showing me that some of you are thinking that, but God, like surely can you do it in my situation? It's like unbelief. We call that unbelief. And I feel the only way to get rid of that and to overcome is to repent and to say, God, I believe, even though my mind is telling me that you can't fix my situation, I choose right now to, to listen to the word of the Lord and to yield and then walk the opposite direction. So the river of the Lord flows in the low place. And the low place is a place of humility. And so I feel like the word of the Lord has come this morning and your life is in chaos and you need to humble yourself. Go like, make a public declaration like, I need prayer, I need help, I need someone to carry my burden with me. I'm one, I need three more. And so this is now not a call for salvation, although it could be. But if you feel like you need prayer this morning and this word is spoken into your heart and you're struggling, would you stand so that we can pray with you? We're going to go into a time of ministry and praying for one another. So if that's you, just with the worship team coming out. If you want prayer this morning, you feel like, that's me, I've got chaos in my life, I would love the saints to come around. Just stand in, stand in the